0: chapter 1 part 1 of the lost house this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by caroline the lost house by richard harding davis chapter 1 part 1 it was a dull day at the Chancellery his excellency the american ambassador was absent in scotland unveiling a bust to bobby burns paid for by the numerous lovers of that poet in Pittsburgh. the first secretary was absent at aldershot observing a sham battle the military attache was absent at the crystal palace watching a football match the naval attache was absent at the duke of Deptford's shooting pheasants and at the embassy the second secretary having lunched leisurely at the arts was now alone but prepared with his life to protect american interests accordingly on the condition that the story should not be traced back to him he had just confided a state secret to his young friend austin ford the london correspondent of the new york republic i will cable it ford reassured him as coming from a hungarian diplomat temporarily residing in bloomsbury while en route to his post in patagonia in that shape not even your astute chief will suspect its real source and further from the truth than that i refuse to go what i dropped in to ask he continued is whether the english are going to send over a polo team next summer to try to bring back the cup i've several other items of interest suggested the secretary the weekend parties to which you have been invited ford objected can wait Tell me first what chance there is for an international polo match. Polo sententiously began the second secretary, who himself was a crackerjack at the game, is a proposition of ponies. Men can be trained for polo, but polo ponies must be born. Without good ponies, James, the page who guarded the outer walls of the chancellery, appeared in the doorway please sir a person he announced with a note for the ambassador he says it's important tell him to leave it said the secretary a polo ponies yes sir interrupted the page but he won't leave it not unless he keeps the half-crown for heaven's sake protested the second secretary Then let him keep the half-crown. When I say polo-ponies, I don't mean—' James, although alarmed at his own temerity, refused to accept the dismissal. "'But please, sir,' he begged, "'I think the half-crown is for the ambassador.' The astonished diplomat gazed with open eyes. "'You think what?' he exclaimed james upon the defensive explained breathlessly because sir he stammered it was inside the note when it was thrown out of the window ford had been sprawling in a soft leather chair in front of the open fire with the privilege of an old schoolfellow and college classmate he had been jabbing the soft coal with his walking stick causing it to burst into tiny flames his cigarette drooped from his lips his hat was cocked over one eye he was a picture of indifference merging upon boredom but at the words of the boy his attitude both of mind and body underwent an instant change it was as though he were an actor and the words thrown from the window were his cue It was as though he were a dozing fox-terrier, and the voice of his master had whispered in his ear, Sickem. For a moment, with benign reproach, the second secretary regarded the unhappy page, and then addressed him with laborious sarcasm. "'James,' he said, people do not communicate with ambassadors in notes wrapped around half-crowns and hurled from windows that is the way one corresponds with an organ-grinder ford sprang to his feet and meanwhile he exclaimed angrily the man will get away Without seeking permission, he ran past James and through the empty outer offices. In two minutes, he returned, herding before him an individual seedy and soiled. In appearance, the man suggested that in life his place was to support a sandwich board. Ford reluctantly relinquished his hold upon a folded paper which he laid in front of the secretary. This man, he explained, picked that out of the gutter in Sowell Street. It's not addressed to any so you read it." I thought it was for the ambassador, said the secretary. The soiled person coughed deprecatingly, and pointed a dirty digit at the paper. On the inside, he suggested, the paper was wrapped around a half-crown, and folded in at each end. The diplomat opened it hesitatingly, but having read what was written, laughed. "'There's nothing in that!' he exclaimed. He passed the note to Ford. The reporter fell upon it eagerly. The note was written in pencil on an unruled piece of white paper. The handwriting was that of a woman. What Ford read was i am a prisoner in the street on which this paper is found the house faces east i think i am on the top story i was brought here three weeks ago they are trying to kill me my uncle charles Rolf pearsall is doing this to get my money he is at gerridge's hotel in craven street strand he will tell you i am insane My name is Dossia Purcell Dale. My home is Dalesville, Kentucky, U.S.A. Everybody knows me there, and knows I am not insane. If you would save a life, take this at once to the American Embassy, or to Scotland Yard. For God's sake, help me. When he had read the note, Ford continued to study it until he was quite sure his voice would not betray his interest he did not raise his eyes why he asked did you say that there's nothing in this because returned the diplomat conclusively we got a note like that or nearly like it a week ago and ford could not restrain a groan "'And you never told me!' "'There wasn't anything to tell,' protested the diplomat. "'We handed it over to the police, and they reported there was nothing in it. They couldn't find the man at that hotel, and of course they couldn't find the house with no more to go on than—' "'And so,' exclaimed Ford rudely, "'they decided there was no man and no house?' "'Their theory—' continued the secretary patiently, is that the girl is confined in one of the numerous private sanatoriums in Sowell Street, that she is insane, that because she's under restraint she imagines the nurses are trying to kill her, and that her relatives are after her money. Insane people are always thinking like that. It is a very common delusion. Ford's eyes were shining with a wicked joy so he asked indifferently you don't intend to do anything further what do you want us to do cried his friend ring every doorbell in sowell street and ask the parlour maid if they're murdering a lady on the top story can i keep the paper demanded ford you can keep a copy of it consented the secretary But if you think you're on the track of a big newspaper sensation, I can tell you now you're not. That's the work of a crazy woman, or it's a hoax, you amateur detectives." Ford was already seated at the table, scribbling a copy of the message, and making marginal notes. "'Who brought the first paper?' he interrupted. "'A handsome cab-driver.' "'What became of him?' snapped the amateur detective the secretary looked inquiringly at james he drove away said james he drove away did he roared ford and that was a week ago Ye gods! what about dalesville kentucky did you cable anyone there the dignity of the diplomat was becoming ruffled we did not he answered if it wasn't true that her uncle was at that hotel it was probably equally untrue that she had friends in america but retorted his friend you didn't forget to cable the state department that you all went in your evening clothes to bow to the new king you didn't neglect to cable that did you the state department returned the secretary with withering reprove does not expect us to crawl over the roofs of houses, and spy down chimneys to see if by any chance an American citizen is being murdered." "'Well!' exclaimed Ford, leaping to his feet and placing his notes in his pocket. Fortunately, my paper expects me to do just that, and if it didn't, I'd do it anyway. And that is exactly what I'm going to do now don't tell the others in the embassy and for heaven's sake don't tell the police jimmy get me a taxi and you he commanded pointing at the one who had brought the note are coming with me to sowell street to show me where you picked up that paper On the way to Sowell Street, Ford stopped at a newspaper agency, and paid for the insertion that afternoon of the same advertisement in three newspapers. It read, If Handsome Cab Driver, who last week carried note, found in street to American Embassy, will mail his address to XXX, care of Globe, he will be rewarded. From the nearest police office he sent to his paper the following cable query our local correspondent Dalesville, Kentucky concerning dossier Purcell Dale is she of sound mind is she heiress who controls her money what her business relations with her uncle charles rolfe Purcell what her present address if any questions say inquiries come from solicitors of englishmen who wants to marry her rush answer sowell street is a dark dirty little thoroughfare running for only one block parallel to harley street like it it is decorated with the brass plates of physicians and the red lamps of surgeons but just as the medical men in harley street in keeping with that thoroughfare are broad open and with nothing to conceal so those of sowell street like their hiding-place shrink from observation and their lives are as sombre secret and dark as the street itself within two turns of it Ford dismissed the taxicab giving the soiled person a half-smoked cigarette he told him to walk through sowell street and when he reached the place where he had picked up the paper to drop the cigarette as near that spot as possible he then was to turn into weymouth street and wait until ford joined him at a distance of fifty feet ford followed the man and saw him when in the middle of the block without apparent hesitation drop the cigarette the house in front of which it fell was marked like many others by the brass plate of a doctor as ford passed it he hit the cigarette with his walking stick and drove it into an area when he overtook the man ford handed him another cigarette to make sure he said go back and drop this in the place you found the paper for a moment the man hesitated i might as well tell you ford continued that i knocked that last cigarette so far from where you dropped it that you won't be able to use it as a guide so if you don't really know where you found the paper you'll save my time by saying so instead of being confused by the test The man was amused by it. He laughed appreciatively, and admitted, "'You've caught me out fair, governor. I want the half-crown, and I dropped the cigarette as near the place as I could, but I can't do it again. It was this way,' he explained. "'I wasn't taking notice of the houses. I was walking along looking into the gutter for stumps. I see this paper wrapped about something around. It's a copper, I thinks.' "'jucked out of a winder to an organ-grinder. "'I snatches it and runs. "'I didn't take no time to look at the houses, "'but it wasn't so far from where I showed you, "'about the middle house in the street and on the left-hand side.' "'Ford had never considered the man as a serious element in the problem. "'He believed him to know as little of the matter as he professed to know.' but it was essential he could keep that little to himself. "'No one will pay you for talking,' Ford pointed out, "'and I'll pay you to keep quiet, "'so if you say nothing concerning that note, "'at the end of two weeks I'll leave two pounds for you with James at the embassy.'" The man, who believed Ford to be an agent of the police, was only too happy to escape on such easy terms after ford had given him a pound on account they parted from wimpole street the amateur detective went to the nearest public telephone and called up garages hotel he considered his first step should be to discover if mr purcell was at that hotel or had ever stopped there when the phone was answered he requested that a message be delivered to mr purcell please tell him he asked that the clothes he ordered are ready to try on he was informed that no one by that name was at the hotel in a voice of concern ford begged to know when mr purcell had gone away and had he left any address he was with you three weeks ago ford insisted he's an american gentleman and there was a lady with him she ordered a riding habit of us the same time he was measured for his clothes after a short delay the voice from the hotel replied that no one of the name of parcel had been at the hotel that winter in apparent great disgust ford rang off and took a taxicab to his rooms in german street there he packed a suitcase and drove to garages it was a quiet respectable old established house in craven street a thoroughfare almost entirely given over to small family hotels much frequented by americans after he had registered and had left his bag in his room ford returned to the office and in an assured manner asked that a card on which he had written henry w page dalesville kentucky should be taken to mr Purcell. in a tone of obvious annoyance the proprietor returned the card saying that there was no one of that name in the hotel and added that no such person had ever stopped there Ford expressed the liveliest distress. "'He told me I'd find him here,' he protested. "'He and his niece.' With the garrulousness of the American abroad, he confided his troubles to the entire staff of the hotel. "'We're from the same town,' he explained. "'That's why I must see him. He's the only man in London I know, and I've spent all my money.' He said he'd give me some he owes me as soon as I reached London. If I can't get it, I'll have to go home by Wednesday's steamer, and complained bitterly, I haven't seen the Tower nor Westminster Abbey. In a moment Ford's anxiety to meet Mr. Purcell was apparently lost in the wave of self-pity. In his disappointment, the appealing pathetic figure. Real detectives and rival newspaper men, even while they admitted Ford obtained facts that were denied them, claimed that they were given him from charity. Where they bullied, browbeat, and administered a third degree, Ford was embarrassed, deprecatory, an earnest, ingenuous, wide-eyed child what he called his working smile, begged of you not to be cross with him. His simplicity was apparently so hopeless, his confidence in whomever he addressed, so complete, that often even the man he was pursuing felt for him a pitying contempt. Now, as he stood uncertainly in the hall of the hotel, his helplessness moved the proud lady-clerk, to shake her cylinders of false hair sympathetically the german waiters to regard his predicament with respect even the proprietor mr gerridge himself was ill at ease ford returned to his room on the second floor of the hotel and sat down on the edge of the bed in connecting percell with gerridge's both the police and himself had failed of this there were three possible explanations that the girl who wrote the letter was in error that the letter was a hoax that the proprietor of the hotel for some reason was protecting purcell and had deceived both ford and scotland yard on the other hand without knowing why the girl believed purcell would be found at garages it was reasonable to assume that in so thinking she had been purposely misled the question was should he or not dismiss garages as a possible clue and at once devote himself to finding the house in sowell street he decided for the moment at least to leave garages out of his calculations but as an excuse for returning there to still retain his room he at once started toward sowell street and in order to find out if any one from the hotel were following him he set forth on foot as soon as he made sure he was not spied upon he covered the remainder of the distance in a cab he was acting on the supposition that the letter was no practical joke but a genuine cry for help sowell street was a scene set for such an adventure it was narrow mean-looking the stucco house front's suit stained cracked and uncared for the steps broken and unwashed as he entered it a cold rain was falling and a yellow fog that rolled between the houses added to its dreariness it was now late in the afternoon and so overcast the sky that in many rooms the gas was lit and the curtains drawn the girl apparently from observing the daily progress of the sun had written she was on the west side of the street and she believed in an upper story the man who picked up the note had said he had found it opposite the houses in the middle of the block accordingly ford proceeded on the supposition that the entire east side of the street the lower stories of the west side, and the houses at each end were eliminated. The three houses in the centre of the row were outwardly alike. They were of four stories. Each was the residence of a physician, and in each, in the upper stories, the blinds were drawn. From the front there was nothing to be learned, and in the hope that the rear might furnish some clue, ford hastened to wimpole street in which the houses to the east backed upon those to the west in sowell street these houses were given over to furnished lodgings and under the pretext of renting chambers it was easy for ford to enter them and from the apartments in the rear to obtain several hasty glimpses of the backs of the three houses in sowell street but neither from this viewpoint did he gather any fact of interest in one of the three houses in sowell street iron bars were fastened across the windows of the fourth floor but in private sanatoriums this was neither unusual nor suspicious the bars might cover the windows of a nursery to prevent children from falling out or the room of some timid householder with a lively fear of burglars. End of chapter one, part one.